My name is Jay Hall, and once again, I am here with my good friend and confidant, Miss Charlotte Anderson. You gonna speak up, say hi. Hey. <laughs> everybody um, trying to be sexy. Everybody, everybody. It's okay, it's okay. Um, Char, you know, I always get your title incorrect. I know you are part of um, starting with today. I am the founder. You are the founder. Of starting so, with today. Right. Mm -hmm. So I never, I never want to get that wrong. I don't right. say you run it. I don't say co-founder you are the founder the founder. okay and executive director for starting with today executive director see right. i would never throw executive in my vocab like that mm -hmm. but you are executive director right correct and the last me you and i left off we were talking about the shape up yeah all right can you brief us again absolutely so the shape up is a barbershop talk series uh, where we bring in a professional mental health therapists into the black barbershops and to have conversations that are focused around black men and black mental health uh, issues that are affecting the black community. Um, and so it is a series that started as a pilot and uh, we kind of worked through a couple sessions and then they kept asking us back for more and we kept coming back. And so now we are, you know, launching our second season, which is insane. Yeah. yeah. From the last time we talked, it seems as if the barbershop talks had become more intense. Right. And like people are literally like showing up. Because right. first it was like, I know I was showing up right, for it. Right, but right. then I'm starting to see like cheers laid right, out. Right, right. And you know, Dr. Lee, who right. shop it is, he's like, right. a, he's like a, a cast. He is. For me. He is. So we hosted at Lee's Barbershop that's in Southeast DC. Um, they are. Um, amazing barbershop who has been super supportive of the shape up um both aaron and dr lee uh, aaron is dr lee's son who i spoke to at first to throw the idea out there to him and he pitched it to his dad and then from there we began to work through the logistics of how it worked um and uh they have been warm and welcoming and you know definitely an advocate for the work that we're doing okay so now we're here because we want to do a recap of the last one yeah and the last one was based on enthusiastic consent okay now that title that title how do we come to that title uh you know it's funny because i actually i probably first time i saw it was on um Lawrence's timeline uh, and I think there's been a lot of conversations through the original Me Too movement um, where we're talking about you know what does rape look like how does it happen how do we begin to have these conversations or, or, or to, to demystify it right um, and um, one of the notions was saying how do we get from just the bare minimum of consent to enthusiastic consent um, and so for that conversation you know the first person I thought to tap into was uh, bringing in Lawrence to team up with Tariq. Tariq is our mental health therapist um, and to to see how we can make that happen um, for this session. I was going to have you introduce him, but you had already said yeah, it. So, you go ahead and so, walk who's, so, who's in the room. So in the room we have... Uh, <laughs> who Lawrence? <laughs> you're, like, you're like, Lawrence, Tariq. <laughs> who are <them> people? <laughs> we have um, Tariq Omari Walton. He is a licensed marriage and family therapist. Um, in the uh, Washington DC Maryland area um, he uh, was actually introduced to me through Lawrence so Lawrence Cosby is in the room as well he is an Esquire lawyer um, and you know friend as well and I think we've all had these conversations whether online or in person how can we can um, empower our community and create safe spaces for for black people. Dr. Tariq not quite doctor. <laughs> Not quite doctor. Let me get that. Me get that Did you get that nickname though? They give me Doctor Love all the time. Okay. <laughs> I knew it was something. I like it. I, like you know, I knew it was something. And I don't like to brag about that. But, uh, but no, about the way you get enthusiastic consent. <laughs> um, real short. Can you explain how and why like this drew you know this this got you in this avenue to do the shape up, up to do the shape up in general? Um. Well. It's funny enough, um, I met Lawrence at an event, actually just about a year ago, um, hip-hop event. It was the words and beats in life. Oh, the shirt that he's wearing. Yeah. The shirt that I'm wearing right now. This is not, this is not video, so was, no one was, told Lawrence. Was I, I, <laughs> I'm reading that out loud. Um, but it was, um, it was a hip-hop ball, themed ball. And um, a couple other people kind of started talking about someone who's looking for a therapist, because they found out I was a therapist. 
to do these barbershop talks. And I knew I had a, I have a friend of mine, another um, colleague who's doing something similar um, out of the University of Maryland. And I was like, that's a great idea to, you know, really bring it into the community again. And so um, I got introduced to Lawrence and he just told me what they were doing. I was sold. It's instantly, you know, about going in and talking to black men about different mental health issues. And so from that, um, you know, we were able to discuss, well, within the um, shape up, able to discuss things like uh, manhood, uh, you know, of course, mental health, um, trauma, uh, vulnerability, all these different topics that we don't normally discuss, but once the brothers started talking about it, they began to see themselves and trying to understand, hey, I can apply this in my life and start making changes. And that's what you see happening. Now, not to make no assumption, where are you from exactly? Originally, I'm from New York. I grew up in upstate New York in Albany and in Brooklyn. Oh, uh, Albany? What yeah. part of Brooklyn? Um, Clinton Hill. Okay. Yeah, Clinton so Hill. how does a brother from Clinton Hill, Albany, work his way down here and then yeah, say, say to himself, you know what, I'm going to do mental health because Obviously, you've been doing it before it became a phrase and a word to say now because we seem to be talking about it a lot more. Right. But what made you say, I was so early to be like, I'm about to jump into that? That is a long story. I actually moved down here 18 years ago to teach. I used to be a high school social studies teacher. And I left that. And um, I'm also a writer. I have four books. And so I just focused on writing for a very long time. I was a starring artist for real, for real, for real, for real, for real. Mm -hmm. Um, but then I decided after writing a book about relationships and just seeing the kind of feedback I got that it would be a good idea for me to go back to grad school. When I initially did grad school was for history, now I shifted over into mental health. And I knew I wanted to work with couples, so I went to a program specifically for that, marriage and family therapy, um, got my license and just kind of took off. And it was all just very good timing. When I was getting into the field is when black folks were really beginning to um, accept that they need to get help outside of the church. And so it was all good time. Are your feelings on our mental awareness, like the way we're approaching it now, is it more like, yes, people are finally starting to tune in? Or is it more like, I told you? <laughs> like, is it frustration in that I sense? Think, I think people finally begin to tune in. A couple of things are happening. One, for a long time, you know, people didn't have the disposable income to afford therapy. Now, you know, you're seeing people either making the investment or they're figuring out how to get their insurance companies to pay for it. So we didn't have that before. So that was just a big no. Um, then, you know, we have our history of um, problems with um, the medical industry, whether it's the Tuskegee experiment or other things that, you know, um, that kind of affected the, American, the black um, community very negatively. But people are beginning to trust and realize that there's help out there that we genuinely need. Right. Things that we couldn't focus on before when we didn't have the time to focus on it. Um, because we're too busy working, but now that we have a little bit more um, free time and flexibility, this may be a good direction to go in. So you see it's a positive? Oh, major. Oh, uh, of course. I, I like oh, you already. Right. Right. I don't have a positive like attitude. Like I was more frustrated. Like we've been like DMX and everybody has been telling us about their problems since right. the nineties. Mm -hmm. You know, but you know, seeing you when I walk into the shop and the way and, and my hats off to you the way because to those who don't know, it's a real shop. Yeah. Right, like people walking in and out. It's not the shop. Yeah, no, it's not the shop. It's a no. real <laughs> shop. Like people come in there yelling what kind of cut they want. Um, nobody got their phone on vibrate. And um, Tariq just keeps going. You know what I mean? See, I've been doing this. Uh, actually, back from 2006 to 2008, I was hosting every week a weekly discussion forum about relationships, interpersonal relationships, for, um, interpersonal relationships at Atmosphere Cafe in Mount Rainier, Maryland. Trump. And so for two years, every week, I had the same kind of thing happen. People walk in, you know, you hear the steam from the coffee machine going Right, on. right. So I don't get distracted. You know, my thing is to be there and make sure that people are getting something out of the time to be there with me. To me, it takes it back to an era that was like before, I'm pretty sure all of us in this room that we heard about these type of conversations of not necessarily mental health, but of active activism, right? They took place like in barbershops or whatever they can find. And of course, the business kept going. Mm -hmm. But it's something to witness because sometimes I was getting a little like, you know, frustrated. I'm like, mm -hmm. man, you know what I mean? But I admire the fact that you were able to keep a strong medium and keep it going. But, oh, thank you, bro. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, I do. I do. Trust me. I do admire that because I'm like, I, I don't know. about Secure the terminator. <laughs> right. You know what I'm saying? I don't know. Um, right. <laughs> and to the brother who wore the tag on his shirt, but we ain't got no video. Uh, Mr. Lawrence. Yeah. Um, please, you know, explain your journey also too, bro. Um. I mean, my, my journey comes, you know, from a, a long line of uh, African-American men who have adopted um, alter egos and are going online to uh, share their <laughs> wisdom. Um, I, I, uh, you used I'm to rap back in the day? Oh, definitely, That was man. a metaphor. Oh, yeah. I, I, oh, yeah. I, 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 
I can always tell a rapper. I'm like, used to, used to, used to oh, rap yeah, back yeah, in the day. Yeah, got yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. This, Continue on. Don't mind this me. Makes tapes. I mean, Shaw and I have been friends for years, and um, we uh, we've had this this uh, level of, of correspondence about just you know anything that's happening in the black community, and um, part of my, I guess you say platform on Twitter has been black mental health, and it's just been me documenting my journey. Um, but also sharing, you know, the experiences with others. And so, um, whether it's You Good Man, where, right. where we, we talked about it, where we just had a forum, you know, just a hashtag where, where black men could say, you know, hey, you good? But we always, it was never a question. It was, you know, a statement. And we wanted to actually have a question in which, are you good? Not just you good. I, you, you're not supposed to respond to that with anything but positives. Um, because it wasn't a place for you to actually say how you felt or what was going on, and even though you're, you're dealing with it. And, and just like you said, we had DMX, and then this generation had Kid Cudi, and there were just people who were saying that they are going through things and they don't know how to get out of it. Um, and so Charlene actually talked to me about having some kind of uh, program in barbershops going about mental health, and it just so happened that I was at an event I think it was like the same day. It was the same day. It was the same day I texted Lawrence. I was like, Lawrence, hey, can you amplify this message on your platform? I'm looking for a black mental health therapist. And like later that day, he meets Tariq. Woo! The same day. Same day. Same day. Same day. Same day. That's how the universe works. Right, right. You put it out there, right? put it out there. One big sitcom. Because they weren't ready. They weren't ready for me. She was like, we just are talking about this. I mean, like, we And really didn't get it, uh, but Tariq just definitely got on board. He saw the vision, and then we end up meeting. I don't know, like a couple of months and before before mm-hmm. we even launched, like yeah. working through the curriculum, working through like goals. And mm-hmm. I actually, um, I worked on a project before this um, where we did a presentation to yeah, the kind of what was it, um, DC CPS right. um, about how to um, address black men around mental health issues. Mm-hmm. You know, so we partnered up with them. We had to have a big partnership. This, um, Charlene, myself, and um, G, yeah, yeah um, who is the president and founder of um, uh, Black Love Industry Professionals. Okay. You know, so it was all about mental health. Um, and so we partnered up doing that. We found out how well we work together. And literally two months later, we were in the barbershops. And, and there you go. See, that's what social media can be used as a positive thing. Right. Right. And Lawrence, you was already using your platform, what, to speak law advice? Because um, you're a lawyer, correct? Yeah, I'm, I'm a lawyer. It wasn't really, it was, it was like the Because when she it said, like, can you use your platform, I was like. It was literally like, I, I never really used it We know law. what Tariq was using his for. He, I know, Tariq was a professional. Mine was more like, you know. You're going to jail. I, I, was, <laughs> I was kicking it with my homies online, you know. And I'm like, you know, after a while, if you have some level of consciousness, kicking it turns into lessons. I mean, that, that's how I was raised. So, you know, if we just shoot in the breeze sometimes we gonna have you know pause for the cause moments and so after a while my pause for the cause moments started to become more and more like just what I did because these were the things that were important to me especially after you know Trayvon Martin Michael Brown it was just like wait a minute right we we could just hang out or we could really build and we're using the same platform for it and so like it became you know something like a snowball effect where people started raising and elevating their level of consciousness because we have to. Like, you know, consciousness it's is a survival mechanism. It's a survival mechanism is to be conscious. Right. And so Charlie noticed that and, and she said, Hey, you know, can starting with today, you know, can we link up? And I'm like, you know, I've been ready. You know, so and I and I'm glad we're here season two. How strong of a role mental health plays like for a lawyer? Like what Man. what for your eye do you see that make you want to comment that? Like stress. Your job is stress. Your existence is stress. And, and a part of it is that you actually start to see how the world works. Mm-hmm. And you start to see how the world is impacting your community. And then you realize you're one person. And so you, you, you have to, you know, make your living. But then you also, I open the papers and I'm seeing the laws. And I'm seeing how four years ago this law was enacted and how it's just hitting people now. Mm-hmm. And it's going to take four more years for that law to get repealed. And so we have, you know, ten years of, like, this something that's destroying our community. And I'm just like... We can't really do anything about it right now. So it's and, and also just seeing the history of law and knowing, knowing the legislative history, you, you can start to see how far we've come, but how far we have to go. 
Um, and so I figure out how to survive within that time. Yeah, it was, and yeah, and I mean, and also just the stress of work. You know, I talk to my friends who are attorneys, and it's just like you got a mental health professional on staff at work. Wow. Why? Because right. they already know. That plays a keen role when you talk about the actual stress, because it seemed when we go to the shape up last week, mm-hmm. and we were talking about these as a consent, you can hear frustration. Right, amongst some of the brothers, some of them were barbers, some of them were customers. Like, well, I mean, you know, if the girl come to my house and she's been drinking, you know what I'm saying, she should know. And it's like, first of all, why are you angry? <laughs> it's Saturday afternoon. She's not here right now. Right? But it seemed to be a lot of anger and frustration. And a lot of it seems to have come from like just not knowing and developing what I what we kind of all familiar with. People kind of develop their own laws in their own head. Like, man, you can't go to jail for that. And Lawrence, you were in there like, yes. Yeah. <laughs> like my favorite quote was like, one stroke pass, no. One stroke. <laughs> yeah, that's, stop. That's like, five to ten. You know, so it was like, one, one, one stroke pass, no, is rape, and that's five to ten. If you're lucky. When you put out that number, though, right, it just really quantifies it for for me, you know, the action, the behavior. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Uh, Where you you talk, it it is a plea deal at that point. It's nothing to defend, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, that was just. Let me say this, too, because this is one of the reasons why we really get heavy into um, emotional literacy and emotional intelligence. Because what you saw as frustration with the brothers, I see that as being the result of concern, you know, for them. Because for them, they're worried, you know, about not knowing what is and what isn't and how it can lead to something more. So that one stroke pass, no, if I don't know that and I'm doing five to ten because I wasn't knowledgeable what was happening. Yeah, I'm concerned. I'm hearing all these different stories and I'm concerned for my safety or my boy's safety or my kid's safety. You know, and so, yeah, that leads to frustration because you don't know what's what. I'd be frustrated, too. But it all begins with concern of their own personal safety. How far is it do you think is concern versus entitlement, though, also? Well, no doubt. Yeah, but I mean, because you, you know, I, I, I hear you yeah. on the concern part, mm-hmm. you know, right. but I can't necessarily say every person I heard in life, not necessarily no, 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 in the right. shape of themselves, right. was feeling like, oh, what about myself? Am I going to jail? They were angry. Right. You know what I mean? They were mad and because they took they it out. They could do what they wanted. And they could do what they wanted to do. They took it out on a woman. But for the way you view it, how much do you think that plays a part? Like, is it 50 50? 60-40 or in Lawrence's case when they get caught? I don't think you can quantify that. I don't think okay. you can quantify that. I mean, I think you just have certain individuals who who do have that sense of entitlement and believe that, you know, this is owed to me, this is due to me, I took you out and now you owe me for that. You have certain people who operate like that. And then you just have other people who are like, you know, I didn't know what was true. You know, when she said no, did she really mean no or did she mean, you know, not right now or try a little harder. You know, so I think this concern, this question that people have that can't be answered until they're having a conversation about it. And we'll talk about that a little bit later. But, um, but you, you can't quantify the, the percentage of who does what. It's just the individual. It all comes down to the individual. Yeah, because I, I can't name how many songs I was raised up on that said no means yes. Mm-hmm. I, they're countless. Mm-hmm. You know, the ones that kept telling me keep going. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's what it sounded like a generation of. And it was interesting because you had people in there from all walks of life and all ages. Mm-hmm. And we definitely, <laughs> I found it funny that in that particular shape up, we had a lot of young kids in there. Yeah. Like yeah. any yeah. other time in the shape up, it's like adults yeah. and everybody. Woo. But it was like nothing. It was like a good six or seven young boys who were in single digits. Now, my perspective, I thought that that was a great thing. Oh, yeah. Oh, it was fantastic. What, did, what does everyone think about that when you saw that? the kids were there because they were paying attention mm-hmm. you know yeah. and I didn't know if the mom was going to be like I'm walking out but she seemed to be like kind of in tune with it and trying to figure it out what do you say to that we did, I, we, did a, uh, we did a disclaimer when we, before we started you know um, and even talking with Dr. Lee before we when I told him the topic and I went up there and I was like hey it's going to be talking about sexual consent and he said well you know just make sure that we tell the parents in the room give them a heads up right, so they can make a choice yeah so they can, they can you know figure out how they want to navigate that but I think the conversation needs to start the sooner the better. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, the, one of the best things about it was watching the moms in the audience and how engaged they were. And I saw a mom elbow her son because he wasn't listening. He was slouched. His body language was negative. And she elbowed him and he sat up. And, and she was like, yeah, you listening? You listening? Because we do have to have consent. We have consent talks in kindergarten, in preschool. Keep your hands to yourself. 
or like ask, you know, we, we have personal space, but somehow there's this line of puberty that hits and somehow we forget about everything we learned in kindergarten, about personal space, about not keeping your hands or respecting each other. And so I think the, the more, pressure, it's not, and also it's peer pressure, but I, I also it's realize. It's pressure. You know, all the, of a sudden now you're expected as a, you know, as you're reaching 12, 13 years old to act like a man, mm-hmm. you know, and oftentimes that beginning stage is how many women can you get, you know, so you have that pressure. And so now it's no longer just about, you know, keeping your hands to yourself. Now the idea is, well, you have to get as many as you can. And so do whatever you got to do to get it. You know, so play whatever games you have to play. Play whatever mind games you have to play. Um, and so part of that, there's just a lot of pressure on kids to be, start beginning to behave in a way that was not acceptable just a few years before that. And I, I thought about like the men who were around mm-hmm. when it was those times to learn. My father was at work. Or like the guys who were in the community that like had the best knowledge, they were doing the best they can to provide for their families. Mm-hmm. So the ones that were around were the men who weren't those men. And they were the guys hanging out at the block. Mm-hmm. They were the older guys at the basketball court. They were your, your uncle that lived with your mama. Um, those guys were the ones giving us the information mm-hmm. and just giving us the wrong information yeah. um, because yeah. they didn't have nothing else to do except pass down, you know, terrible things. And when you talk, good, that's why it was actually good to have the young men there because now they get to hear from professionals. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not just a cat on a block talking to you. These are folks who are actually knowledgeable about the subject area, and you get to hear it firsthand. You don't have to go to a book or anything. You get to hear how other men react to it who are probably thinking very similar to you, and you get responses to that. So for them. It's a great lesson. I mean, you're talking about a teachable moment. That's a great teachable mm-hmm. moment for them. You know, so hopefully they can carry that beyond, you know, just the barbershop, but into their daily lives and the conversations that they're having with their friends. Oh, I heard these, this lawyer and this, um, this therapist talk about this, and this is the way they said you should do it. You know, so it's like, you know, you're just passing that down. It's, um, what's the game? Um, telephone. Uh, telephone or, or um, you know, Herb's Blue Grapevine. You know, you're just taking this information and you're passing it through. Now, someone's going to get messed up along the way, but at least it starts somewhere. And I think just to follow up, I think even more so just thinking about it now, like the parents probably now have more tools because mm-hmm. a lot of times parents don't even, A, are not aware to have that conversation, um, and B, don't have the tools to engage in that conversation or the language to engage in that conversation. Right. So, um, you know, I think them giving, you know, at least a, a foundation that hopefully those parents can go and build upon that, you know. Um, at least they have some 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 tools and resources. To you know, do growing up, I always thought pressure or peer pressure. Even when I was a child, I thought that was somebody trying to persuade me to do something that I did not want to do. Mm-hmm. Right, but I didn't understand. I'm, and I'm only recently starting to understand that pressure is bigger than that. Mm-hmm. Like, and the way you describe it, you was like, "Yo, is this whole thing about you have to be a man?" Because young boys definitely start turning to a certain age where it's like. I want to be the bigger physical being that's around me. I want to be this man. Mm -hmm. And what is he doing? And I guess also I might have participated in that too without even being aware of it. And I guess to you, what you were saying, is that a form of pressure also? Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, definitely. Okay. Definitely, definitely. I mean, anything that's going to sway you in a way that you probably weren't thinking about before is pressure. You know, anything that's going to um, push you into doing something that you might not have just considered before, you know, because it just wasn't in your purview or... Um, but now it's an expectation. And I think we talk about pressure is expectation. And so that expectation is that if you're a young man, and this is why, you know, for a lot of gay men, it's hard for them to come out of the closet because mm-hmm. as a young man, the pressure is that you go after women. And so because of that expectation, that pressure, you behave in a way that may not fit your lifestyle or you behave in a way that's contrary to the way that you were raised. But now you're trying to fit in, especially at that age, you're trying to fit in. You know, you're growing, your body is awkward, and you're just going through all these changes, and you're trying your best to fit in, not stand out, which means doing what everybody else is doing. So even if they're not doing because you know, cats is lying on themselves yeah. in, in middle school, but everyone's talking about it, and so you're thinking, okay, this is how I'm supposed to behave, so let me go out here and chase, you know, and then you find out later on, like, oh, maybe that wasn't a good move, but I didn't have all the right information. All I know is that people were expecting me to do this, and so that's what I did. When you talk about enthusiastic consent and you walk into a barbershop with a majority of men, they walk in there, they're walking out, you got men who are older, you got men who are younger, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, whatever, and they all have their own definition of what they thought consent was, consent is, or whatever. What was the impression, and Lawrence, maybe this can go more towards you, 
legally, what is consent and what was the impression you feel like you got from people when you actually explained what consent was legally? Um, I think I had to break it down outside of legal terms first. And so in order for me to say, okay, what consent is, we're at a barbershop. You walk in the barbershop to get your hair cut. You don't just go sit in a chair. You have a conversation, whether it be verbal or nonverbal, to see if you're next. Even if that's your barber, you still have to have that conversation. Then you go sit in a chair. The barber's not going to just start cutting your hair unless you guys have that rapport, that relationship to say, okay, what do you want? And even then they're going to ask, what do you want? You're going to want the one, you're going to want the usual, and then they're going to start cutting your hair. And if it hurts, you're going to move and they're going to stop. And they're going to be okay, all right. Or you're going to look in the mirror and say, oh, I don't want that. So you guys are going to have this continuous conversation about this consensual haircut. And you understand that and you've been doing it for years and you get it because you guys are in unison. You understand the culture of it, you understand the vibe of it, and you're able to use all of your senses to understand what's happening. And so you have the capacity and the capability to understand consent and understand enthusiastic consent. And so once we went through that, people are nodding their heads like, yeah, you know, I get that. And now we got to turn it into what, you know, sexual consent is. And so, you know, what the definition is words or overactions that indicate a freely given agreement to engage in a sexual activity or behavior. Um, there's a lack of verbal or physical resistance, um, and there's no force, threat, or coercion during that time. And that's just consent. That's the bare minimum. Mm-hmm. That, that's the no means no. Okay. And so people, if you stop there, you're doing it wrong. So you're just trying not to go to jail. So you're not moving towards what we want to get to, enthusiastic consent. And that is that, that, that unison, that, that vibe of we're meeting minds together. This is what we both want. And we both know we want it, both verbally, physically, and emotionally. Mm-hmm. And so we're actually having that, that yes means yes, that excitement for both. Not I'm trying to get mine, and I'm just trying to get over your barriers. It is we're trying to get ours enthusiastically. So how do you think, the, what is the role one takes to get to enthusiastic consent? And the first thing you got to do is look at the, the other person or people as people. And you have to recognize them as human beings and not just something to satisfy your sexual needs. And that you have to be conscious of their wants and desires and be willing to meet them. And so if you're just trying to get yours, you're going to be running through red lights. You're not going to wait for green lights. You're not going to ask for green lights. You're not going to stop. You're going to just want yours. And so to get to enthusiastic consent, you have to covet that other person's enthusiasm. you got to want them. I want you, but I want you to want me too. There's a lot of Marvin. There's a lot of Marvin. You're really going to try to walk out of here as if none of us heard that line before, but it's totally fine. But I'm with Marvin on that. He, he was with that. Tariq, what was something that you saw from when he explained that definition? Did you think you seen resistance? You think you saw encouragement, acceptance? Let me say this. We are nine months into doing the Shape Up Now. That was our eighth, our eighth um, actual Shape Up. Our ninth or eighth? Ninth. That was our ninth? Yeah. Dad, we've been working. Yeah. So that was our ninth Shape Up. That's an so, you know, you have to figure, we've had nine months of influence on the barbers in there. Mm-hmm. Nine months of, you know, um, you know, changing the hearts and minds of how to approach life in there. Bars. And so the way that when you're listening to the barbers respond now is different than they did nine mm-hmm. months ago. You know, they are thinking differently. They're taking the information that we're giving them and they're applying it to their lives. And so they're able to change their behavior, able to pass that information on to their patrons and so the conversations are different than they were back then. So even when we were talking about enthusiastic consent among them, I think they were very receptive to it, and I think they could see it differently now than they would have nine months ago, only because of the conversation we've had leading up to this. Like, I don't think we could have had the same conversation no. back in May and then respond that way. If we started off this way, they'd be like, what are you talking about? It sounds crazy. But now, when you've built such a foundation of mental health and wellness um, that we have, now they can say, okay, based on what we talked about before, I can see what you're talking about. In safe space, you know what yeah. I'm saying? Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. In safe right. space. Because I, I think there was some retort, you know what I'm saying? Uh-huh. Um, but A, nobody's going to jump down your throat and be like, you're not worthy or, you know, you're evil for this. Mm-hmm. But, like, how can we begin to redirect that? And that, I think that's the beauty of this, right? What the barbershop is a safe space, but then even this layer of the shape up 
is a is a beautiful safe space as well. Right. I mean, having Doctor Lee come in right. and give his you know his story, right. and we you know in, in the beginning, right. in general, in it, my man. I mean, my lady be bothering me at night, and I'm tired. And I'm tired. I, I mean, why can't she wait for my enthusiastic consent? I want to go to bed. I mean, and that that was him stepping up and becoming you know right. a featured player, yeah. you know, a, a cast member in right. the shape of, mm-hmm. and in the back, he's just been a proprietor, right. and so that is that level of comfort. And, and even the other barbers, they take his lead and they say, okay, Dr. Lee is speaking. Wait a minute, like these people aren't going anywhere. And we might as well, this is something to break up our Saturday. Well, you make a good point because Dr. Lee, he's an older gentleman. And Tariq, when you hear something like that, what do you think the psychological powers, the historical psychological powers it is for sex and consent? That is, that gets really, really deep because you have to remember, you know, going back not that long ago, back to um, times of our enslavement. I hate to say slavery, but times of our enslavement in this country, we had no control over our bodies. You know, so it was nothing for a man to see his wife, his daughter, his son being raped, being sexually abused by a master, by a uh, overseer. And so that's been a historical problem that we've, that we've had to live with. Um, you know, year after year, century after century um, in this country. And so having seen that going beyond that into um, emancipation and um, what's the word? Um, the time before reconstruction. reconstruction. During, during those period, that period of time where you saw um, we first had our freedom and towns were being burnt down like Rosewood because uh, white women were accusing black men of rape. And there's always been this thing where, you know, black men are very, very dangerous and they're gonna, you know, they're gonna rape your women. Even, um, oh, what's that, the first, that movie? Um, King Kong? No, no, no. Uh, <laughs> King Kong was a rapist. Uh, he was definitely uh, a rapist. Uh, something of a nation. Um, Birth of a nation. Birth of a nation. Birth of a nation. That was a big thing of it. Black men coming to rape your daughters, rape your wives. Yeah. And so there's always been this fear around black masculinity that goes to black sexuality. And so, you know, for us historically, you know, we've always been in danger of being, um, you know, not just ostracized, but being murdered mm-hmm. for accusations of rape. And so, again, that's where it gets back to the concern for us because we are scared of what might happen. And even if we if we are accused and we're brought to jail, and that's the word, I, I can't tell you how many stories I heard about people in jail who were accused molesters who got whooped up on in prison because of how many people in jail were molested or who were sexually mm-hmm. abused. Um, and so rape and, and sexual consent is a major, major, um, um, know, not topic, but just a major issue that we run across all the time for years and for centuries in our community. And now it's really about being able to clarify what it is and what it isn't to both men and women so that we step wisely. So that women know, okay, don't play the game of saying, you know, no, but really meaning yes. Don't confuse anybody. We don't want and we can't afford confusion in this. Make sure you're very clear about what it is that you want, very clear about it up front, and so that everyone's proceeding. I know you want the romance, you want the passion, you want, look, you got time for that later. Be clear about what's happening here. You know, because historically, we have always um, been burned, literally, behind that. Yeah, and when I think about what was a highlight reel for me was both of you, and I don't even know if you planned this, had used two known celebrity, black men celebrity situations mm-hmm. where you were on the opposite side of the fence on. Tariq, you was talking about how growing up around the area in Brooklyn, you had heard about Mike Tyson's reputation, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to lie, I found it really interesting because despite the fact that Mike Tyson was doing a lot of crazy things. Mm-hmm. You know, Iron Mike was doing a lot of things on in the ring, out the mm-hmm. ring, right? We all kind of came to the acceptance where, you know, Mike did a lot, but I'm pretty sure he ain't wrecked that girl, right? right? With with no um, validation, like no proof of purchase to make us believe that, but we just believe that right. based upon, you know, the infamous, if you come over to someone's house at three in the morning, mm-hmm. is that is that not a booty call, mm-hmm. right? And things of that and nature. And that automatic consent. And that automatic consent, right? And we've, we've kind of like, Collectively, without even having a meeting, like all came to this. Well, Mike was even Mike said himself, Well, you know, I didn't rape her, but I deserve to go to jail. We always kind of like, Well, if he can admit that, then you know, what I mean, by this time he would admit that he went to jail. But what came to my head was, Yo, I'm pretty sure Mike, if he was in a conversation like this, he doesn't believe he raped her, mm-hmm. right? right? I mean, he can take a lot of detective to test and, and everything, and he does not believe that he raped her. And you made me think 
on that. And you maybe think, because, um, Lawrence, because you were talking about Kobe. And you were saying when you actually read the, I think the Craving for Wrong manuscripts or something like that, I mean, or yeah, you read right, the case study, and you were like, yeah, and you were like, yeah, Kobe raped that girl. And, <laughs> and like, and like, you know, you had, I mean, you stirred up something. We, we getting ready to close out, and you got one brother, he cut the clip and said, Kobe ain't raped that girl. You know what I mean? She wanted that money, da, 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 da. And he was like, you know, why would you have, I mean, why would you have sex the next day and all this other stuff? And but that's when I was talking about earlier when you said, listen, one stroke pass, no, even in the middle of sex, mm -hmm. if a person is switching up something without that other person's consent, mm -hmm. that is rape. I'm, I'm right? And I don't know if you trigger people because they were Kobe Bryant fans or you triggered them because they were thinking about something that happened to them years ago. Mm -hmm. But could you guys on your own speak on what was a highlight for you during that session? Because that, that's what I'm, I went okay. home with. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm, I'm gonna go. That was one of my highlights because uh, it's something that I've read and I was like, wait a minute. Like, sometimes people look at sex as like a buffet. And they say, like, you know, once you agree to have sex with me, everything is on the table. Mm -hmm. But the thing is, you have to get things out of cart. And you have to actually guide yourself and them into, like, okay, is this, is this okay? Is that okay? And there are ways to do that, you know, while keeping the quote unquote move. But Kobe decided that he wanted something else that wasn't on the table. And one stroke passed, no. And, and that happened, but one of my highlights was talking about Bill Cosby, because, <laughs> hey, Bill Cosby has been something people have been talking about in barbershops for years. Man. It's something that people have been throwing out there, you know, like, you know Bill Cosby breaking women, and we just, we know, ah, yeah, 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 we let it go, but then, you know, it became something that was bigger than that, and talking to people and saying that, hey, some of these women wanted to have sex with Bill Cosby, but Bill Cosby, in, in his, you know, internal creepdom, decided that... Internal creepdom? In, in, eternal, yeah, eternal, it's, eternal. It's, 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 it's outlandish creepy. Yeah, like, he said, I want to take away your ability to consent. I want to put something in your drink. I want to give you something that's going to knock you unconscious. So if you do anything that gets in the way of somebody's consent, that's rape. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter if they had all the intention of the world of doing whatever. You said, I want to knock these women out because that's what I like. Mm -hmm. If he would have said... I'm gonna knock you out. Was that cool? And they were like, "Yeah, fine, that could have worked." But no, Bill Cosby had done generations of knocking women out. Generations, generations. Like, you know, your grandma, you, like everybody. He knocked everybody. Everybody got knocked out. That was his move, and he just didn't care for consent. And so, you know, when people were like, "You know what? You kind of right there," and I was like, "Yeah," mm -hmm. you know. They ain't lying. He had a modus operandi. That was his, you know, calling card. Right, right. Hello, tomorrow, as he said, right? Yeah. <laughs> right. What about you, Tariq? I have to tell you the truth. When I do these, I mean, whenever I'm speaking, whenever I'm, you know, facilitating, facilitating a conversation, I'm very present, very in the moment. I don't remember much of what happens. I'm just going. Right. And so, you know, whatever we're talking about in the moment, I'm there. I don't remember what we just talked about. I might be able to refer back to a few things. Um, but when it's over, I want to the next thing. I really don't remember. I remember the energy. I remember bits and pieces, but I don't remember enough to really call anything highlights. It was just like, okay, this this felt good. You know, people really came off like they understood. They got us. Um, I think they're walking away with something. That's all I'm there for. You know, so I can't say that there's any particular highlights that I have. It's, my mind doesn't work that way. I can I tell you, as a watcher, it felt different. I have a highlight for Tariq. The conversation about coercion. Mm -hmm. I think Tariq. You know, there was a. a a barber who wanted to understand what is coercion. And Tariq was able to explain to man, you know, what's the difference between persuasion and coercion. And so, you know, there is a romance to persuasion. The difference was, was that a person doesn't want to do something and you coerce them into doing something under duress. Persuasion is that there's a yes and you get into that enthusiastic yes. Mm -hmm. And so I, I was just amazing watching the wheels turn in that barber's head like, all right, I get it. <laughs> <laughs> no more raping women. <laughs> we we, we persuade enough in here. Persuade enough in here. Persuade enough in I got you. What about you, Charlotte? Anything stood out to you? It's, it, with all the shape-ups we've done, but we, you know, I feel like all the shape-ups have led to something True. like this of importance. No disrespect to the ones in the past, but I feel like... None taken. But <laughs> I feel like this is not... But to your point, to, I don't think that this is something... You'd have had a different experience doing this on y'all second round, mm -hmm. like y'all second time. Mm -hmm. I think there's a reason why 
you know, we are watching Blackish now, but nobody remember Blackish like the first season. Mm-hmm. You know, things have to kind of like build up. Right. And Charlotte, for you, you know, being the creator of this and seeing this for what it is, what stood out to you as a woman, as a black woman, when you hear about black men talking about consent in a barbershop and hearing those real raw answers? Because the guys know you now. Right. Like, even though I heard one of the barbers, he was like, yeah, you know, Charlotte, you know, she be recording. I, my girl might be on it. So they've come to know you, <laughs> right? And they're a little bit more, they're a little bit more relaxed. Right. So what is it for you to hear that? Um, you know, I think, you know, when I saw, you know, this, this, the shape of was formed uh, shortly after um, watching Surviving R. Kelly, mm-hmm. right? And I, and I think I sent out the text, like, maybe that Sunday or Monday, it's like, we got to do one on consent. Um, and the conversation needs to be had. I think one of the great things about uh, the shape up and starting with today is because we're so nimble, we're so small that we can kind of react to something that's happening, right? So the conversation is happening now. Um, it's fresh on everyone's mind. So let's tap into that and let's, let's, let's bring in, um, you know, some, some experts in that field to, to really facilitate that conversation because people are having it in silos um, and not necessarily the information is correct. Um, so for me, I think uh, I think Dr. Lee's point about, you know, women getting consent, you know, I think uh, requesting consent. And I think that's a really uh, important thing that that women need to, um, kind of what Tariq says, be clear, but also respect the spaces of black men as well, and that, that they have autonomy over their body, um, that they uh, may not want to have sex, and then not use that as leverage tools to like create an argument. I think I think the banter then was, you know, if 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 I say no to sex, if the guy say no to sex, then I'm accused of cheating, or that I've had <laughs> sex with someone else, and like and how that becomes a, a whole thing, and. I, I, or give I, them the right to go out and find somebody else. Yo, right, I, right. I have I have no response to not want to have sex. Right, right. I just know I'm about to get in trouble. Right. <laughs> but I, I I have not been taught, right. tutored, nothing on what to deliver when I don't want sex. Exactly. I, I, I have nothing. So, right. so that's right. important. She can I, get think, an right. I don't have nothing. Right. I, I don't have anything. So I thought that was, you know, uh, you know, definitely humorous. But I think at the same time, it was a very serious point that needed to be that consent is two ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's between two consenting adults. Mm-hmm. How, and this is a question for the room, how does everyone think that we can create a culture that can do better for future generations when it comes to understanding about consent, enthusiastic consent, um, nonverbal cues, everything that we talked about in the shop and beyond, raising a better generation of young men and women who could come up to have that understanding? How can we create a culture like now? I think it's um, a matter of encouraging people to have, have to become comfortable with uncomfortable conversations. Mm-hmm. You know, like we were in, in the shop, you know, people don't have conversations about HIV. You know, even though you know it's a threat, people oftentimes will say, hey, you know, what's your status? You know, they, because someone said, you don't want to know. You, you need to know, you know? So even when it comes to consent, having a, a difficult conversation, you might hear no, that no, nah, that's not why I'm here. You know, you might get that. Trust me, you'll find somebody else that's mm-hmm. down. But if you're not having the conversations um, because you're uncomfortable with what the answer may be, then you're leaving yourself open to that kind of liability. And so you have to, you have to have that conversation. You have to ask questions, um, especially with somebody you're just meeting. You don't know this person that way. You don't know where the cues are. You don't know, you know, when um, for them, when they want you to stop doing something just by looking at them, you have to hear the words right. because you don't know them well enough. You have to have those uncomfortable conversations. You have to become comfortable with it and just recognize this is part of life. This isn't even about you, you know, just wanting to do what you want to do. No, this is part of your life now. You have to find out for sure that this is what the other person wants. Uh, I think one of the the best things I saw when we started talking about the age of consent, Mm. the way that the men in the room Mm. was like they weren't having it when it came to teenagers and grown men. Mm. And I think that is something that, you know, I remember my dad doing it. Like my dad would see some old men hanging around young girls. And I think having the, the men in the community step up, but also not just step up, but pass some things down. Because I, I never learned about consent. I learned about the game. I learned how to holler right. at a Definitely woman. Definitely learned about the game. Right. You know, I learned what, you know, what I had to do, you know, God gift the grift to, you know, get, get it. But never how to, you know, see if a woman wants me. Or, or to express that and to see, you know, one like, hey, if a woman, if you touch a woman and she moves away, stop trying to touch her. 
Like, that was never something told. Never so, but now, like, you can tell a young generation that, hey, like, if a woman says no, like, if you're trying to pull a woman's pants down and she's pulling them back up, stop. Mm-hmm. You know, if you, if you move her leg over and she closes her leg, stop. You know, these are the things. You can teach game, but also teach the other side of the game, which is enthusiastic consent. And so I think that we just need to, you know, pass it down as much as we can and to educate as many men who will give it to the younger generation and just keep the ball rolling until we get to a point where, you know, where, where sex is mutual um, instead of something taking, you know, getting instead of sharing. I got to feel like I got to ask this before we leave up out of here because Charlene brought up the surviving R. Kelly doc. What is it that we as black men and any black man that's hearing this can do to be more of an ally to the black woman and protect black women, black young girls? Because we are starting to raise our voices a little bit more and we're starting to have these conversations. But what are actions that we can actually do to make these things become reality? So I have a, a, a couple of different theories around why we don't. You know, I remember the, you remember the video that was out a few uh, months ago about um, the, the black woman who was being accosted by the guy at McDonald's when mm-hmm. she was, you know, he didn't get a straw or whatever, and so he grabbed her, reached across her, and, you know, you see the video of yeah, yeah, the yeah. guy trying to pull her off but not touching him, and nobody really jumping in to protect her. Um, and so, you know, there's a lot of, um, um, uh, I can't think of words, there's, there's a lot of um, beef with black men for not stepping in in that case and just in general black men don't step in to save um, their black women but one of the reasons behind that is because of how much further things can get out of hand when we step in you know I think about um, the movie Crash when Terrence Howard couldn't protect his wife from being molested by oh, that the was police yeah, man. you know because you know she's looking at him like yo what are you going to do he's like yo I can't do nothing because if we step forward he's either going to get beat down or rest of the shot you know, and so it's like, what can I possibly do that's not going to make things worse or that's not going to be worse for me? And so I think a lot of black men, because we, we are quite aware of what's going on and we recognize and we're always looking around. And so we know what's going on, what's going down and what kind of danger we could possibly be in. And I think a lot of times we don't step up because we know that this can get worse. So you might just have to take that on your own. I'm sorry, sis, but you might have to take that so that I can be safe. We have to recognize that if they're not safe, we're not safe. Uh-huh. And that we have to step up. We have to step up. As long as a black woman is always being um, cheated the way she is in Western civilization, as being like at the bottom, then we're going to be down there with them. You know, so we have to step. We might have to take that L in order to protect them. It's just the way it is because you won't see any other culture not do that. Mm-hmm. We have to step up. I mean, I think we also have to start looking at at black women as people. Like I think that a lot of times, like even though words we use. And, and they become that we they become the thoughts that we have, and so we don't look at them as individuals with feelings and emotions because we we know what people are because as black men we wanted to be t- treated as such, mm-hmm. but then when we look at black women, we, we we somehow have this cognitive dissonance that it comes to that, and that we we don't listen to them when they talk about they've been assaulted, even though we tell our daughters that you know be careful out there, but when a woman says you know men are trash and she's speaking of like the collective experience of womanhood. We buck at that, mm-hmm. and, and we try to say that men are natural-born leaders, and that we should, you know, be the head of household, and we de- we demand respect, and we're kings. We need to act like it, because if you were king, that's not willing to protect your subjects, you should be overthrown. Mm-hmm. So you know, unless you have that track record of being a king and protecting yours, and protecting everybody that's within your 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 society, then you're not a king. And so I think we need to start living up to that expectation that we have and really just looking at you see a woman she's a person and once you once you get past that like that that will level out a lot of the issues in society bars heavy charlie you want to take us home as a black woman hearing that is there any suggestions you have to close out with us come on sister right what can we do to protect you sister um, I, th- I think the conversations um, I think you know as an ally I think the conversations that need to be had or, or in spaces black women are in you know what I'm saying so they're in your, your group chats they're in your your games night out they're in your um, the, the clubs they're in the the morning after text messages with your friends um, about the escapade the night before those are the conversations that need to shift towards protecting black women 
Um, and, and it's going to cost social capital, right? And mm -hmm. It may cost, you know, uh, like Tariq said, where we understand that there are situations where, you know, your physical body can be at harm. Um, but um, I think black women have been taking our own hits for so long that we need we need some barriers um and at the very least some support on those on those front lines and and, and at the bare minimal a uh, black men shouldn't be our enemy right and so mm -hmm. we should have to love our, our our offenders right or our um our assaults or people who have assaulted us right and they're in our homes they're in our families we see them at the cookouts so we see them you know in our relationships so how do we begin to navigate this space where there, um, we can't heal from from because we're always in space with with abusers or people that look like our abusers. Mm -hmm. um, so that's a long way to go, but I think I think those conversations that that men have in their silos in their private spaces um, that speak up for Black women, that give platforms for Black women, um, I think I think those will go a long way. Yeah, I'm for that. You know, you've been my like tag. So I, like, <laughs> I hit Charlotte, I'll be like, I'm not sure about this. <laughs> I'm not sure about this. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Yo, this is dope. I really hope that we do a couple, um, some more sh uh, recasts of the shape. Nah, man, is it? Oh, well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. what you got? Nigga? You're, you're, this is last right here. Yeah. We just want to invite you, brother. It's all good. I mean, I'll be here. <laughs> <laughs> um, anybody want to do a shameless plug before we get up out of here to let anybody know what we can look forward to for the shape up coming up? Anything? Um, follow me at the Cosby. Oh, um, you know, hey, just get my numbers up. You're not related, is man. No relation. <laughs> no relation. You got to clear that up, oh, man. Let people know, man. We had the same, the same slave owners passed down. There you go. Same <laughs> there you go. And now, now, you know, I'm, I'm the ex now. Okay, you know. <laughs> Now, at the Cosby, oh, you know, Twitter, Instagram, um, you know, happy Black History Month. Hey. Right, right, right. Um, you can find me at Tariq Omari on Instagram and Facebook. You can also go to my websites, um, TariqOmari.com. I'm sorry, TariqOmariWalton.com. Um, you can check out my old TV show and my articles on ViewsAndVibes.com. Or you can check out my therapy practice at Insight. M is a maryft.com. That's inside mft.com. Dope, dope, dope. And you can follow Starting With Today at startingwithtoday.org. Um, we also, at, on Instagram, it's probably our most active platform at Starting With Today. Um, and that's where we post all the Shape Up flyers. So we'll be back in February at least, February 23rd at 11 a.m. Um, same black place, same black time. So meet us there. Um, and following like, so stay tuned. Other things that are coming out. I just want to say shout out to me in the shop again. Leave, go. Yeah, yeah. Leave barbershop. Got Leave barbershop. Yeah, yeah. Shout out, shout out. Support them. Support uh, Pimento Grill that's next door. Um, they got some of the best Jamaican food. Uh, so, you know, let's reinvest in our pot. So we go How today. How come nobody yet? How come nobody's hooking me up with something? You be leaving. You be right leaving. home, man. I don't know you be going home. You're right. <laughs> yeah, 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 man. You got to have something to do with it. You got that. So, uh, you know, making sure that we're coming into these spaces, but we're also reinvesting in, in these communities uh, and in buying back and protecting our, our blocks before they're not ours anymore. Right. Ooh, right. Ooh, right. Appreciate it. Black history right, right. there. Cool, y'all take care. Alright, thank, thank you. Stay black. J Hall, you ain't you ain't gonna tell us something about J Hall? It's my issue. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs>